Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome back to the Left of Straight Show. This is the first show of our season five. Welcome back, all my returning listeners and all of you new listeners that will be joining us this season. We've got a great few shows going on here. Got a great season ahead, guys. Thanks so much for tuning back in. We've had an extended hiatus. But glad to be back on the air in these crazy times. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, broadcasting live out of the Left of Straight Radio Network headquarters here in Northeast Ohio. We hope to be your favorite podcast where we chat with some great celebrities and personalities from the areas of entertainment, foodies, books, pop culture, and advocacy. If you haven't yet, do me a favor, please subscribe to the Left of Straight Show podcast on your favorite podcast distributor, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Just click that little subscribe button for me. It also really helped me out to get us noticed by more people. You give us a little five-star rating on the episodes you listen to that you really like. I appreciate it. There's so much to talk about on this uh, coming back out of the uh, – hiatus episode, but uh, there seems to be a pandemic going around the country and the world right now. So let's hear it for um, coronavirus, COVID-19. Goodness gracious. I hope you guys are all being safe. Um, Things are well. Uh, I'm here, of course, like I said, in Northeast Ohio. Our governor has closed all the schools, restaurants, movie theaters, casinos, sports, just about everything leisure-related here in Ohio. In fact, he's trying – tomorrow is our presidential primary, and he is trying to delay that. Um, He announced he wanted to delay it earlier today. He's actually been stopped by a court. He's actually appealing that to a Supreme Court. So we're not even going to know if we're actually voting tomorrow in person till later this evening, which is just really kind of scary. This is such an important election season as it is. You all know my political affiliation. I want to see our current president out of the White House. Uh, But there are four major primaries going on tomorrow, uh, Ohio, Illinois, Florida, and Arizona. Um, The other three are definitely going on. Ours is in limbo. I mean, luckily, Ohio has had um, early voting for the last three or four weeks. So a lot of people have done that. But he wants to postpone it till June 2nd, our Governor DeWine. So I may be voting live. I like to vote live. 
I voted uh, I voted early a few times when I knew things were going on, but I like to vote live and I can. Of course, <laughs> this is the one time I probably should have voted early, but what can you do? But if you're out there in Arizona, Florida, or Illinois, please vote tomorrow, though. Very important. Um, no matter who you're picking for your candidate, I've made mine known on social media, but hey, everyone gets their own vote. So real important, just go ahead and make a vote uh, in the primary tomorrow, and let's try to get um, this president out of here if possible. Uh, this season, because of the whole coronavirus thing, I did not know it was going to get this crazy. I kind of had an inkling it might. I wasn't sure. So because of that, I did some pre-tape interviews for these first, uh, first two shows this week. So all my interviews are pre-taped today and tomorrow. Um, today I'm having a Musical Monday episode featuring two great singers. Uh, up first, just a couple of minutes, is going to be Billy Gilman. He rose to fame at 11 years old in the country music genre, came out as gay in 2014, made a musical comeback in pop music by becoming the first runner-up on The Voice television show in 2016 after being picked by Adam Levine. He has a new single and is touring like crazy. You'll love to hear Billy's story in just a few minutes. Uh, and then up next is going to be my interview with Broadway and opera star Zachary James. Uh, Zach originated the role of Lurch in the original Broadway one of the Adams Family alongside Nathan Lane and B.B. Newworth. Um, Lurch is a good role for him. The guy is 6'7", dude. So, I mean, he is a tall guy. But sweet as pie. Two great interviews. Um, be sure to listen to those today. You're going to enjoy every word of it. But as I said, we, we did it last week before everything was crazy, and the entertainment world is turned upside down right now. Um, everything is canceled. All of um, Zachary's shows at the, at the uh, Minnesota Opera have been canceled for the end of this month. Um, Billy is scheduled to start touring again in New Jersey on March 29th and get, go into Texas in April. We don't know if that's going on right now. So be sure to check their websites that are on the end of the interview because we don't know what is going to be happening with this. So, yeah, we did this before. This was crazy. I had an inkling something might happen but wasn't sure. They have some time off. So be sure to follow them and see what's going on there. I'm just excited to be back. Um, I will go ahead and be back at the end of the episode here after these two fantastic interviews. Thanks again for being uh, part of Left of Straight Show, big season five introductory episode. Please share this with your friends. Share the podcast. I appreciate it. Be back in just a little bit. And here we go. We're going to go ahead and kick off tonight with Billy Gilman's performance on The Voice with When We Were Young. And then we'll get into the interview and have Zachary James up at the end of that. So have a great evening, everyone. Listen to a couple of great interviews. Thanks for listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Everybody loves the things you do From the way you talk To the way you Everybody here is watching you Cause you feel like home You're like a dream come true But if by chance you're here alone 
to just stand on a stage and, and, and wail and sing the best songs that I could find every Monday and Tuesday of the week. You know, and, and luckily with America, it worked, and I was very grateful for that. There you go. Well, it was an amazing yeah. we'll talk about that a little bit more. Let's go ahead. Since your first time on the show, um, let's give everyone a quick Reader's Digest recap of your early life. Where did you grow up? What kind of a kid were you like? And what did you actually want to be when you grew up? <laughs> Those are good questions. I've never really been asked in that, in that way. Um, so I grew up in Rhode Island, uh, 30 minutes south of the capital, um, which is Providence, for people that might not really know, because everyone thinks, oh, it's New York, Long Island, no, Rhode Island. Um, <laughs> it's so funny when I go to certain places and they're like, Rhode Island, is that New York? No. Sorry. Right. Um, it's, so, it's so funny. So, yeah, Rhode Island, uh, still have a, a home there. I bounce around to other places, but I try and always strive to be home. Family is number one, especially being gone for Christmases at 13 years old. is very tough. So there's a mental part of me that really likes to, to stay put and close to my family as much as I careerly wise can. Does that even sure. make sense? Careerly wise? <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, Business-wise, you know, you got to be where you got to be. But um, growing up, yeah, uh, there's no, really no memory of me wanting to perform. I mean, at 18 months old, they have a video of me humming the Jeopardy theme. Um, so it, it, totally, it totally chose me. I, I, I just didn't wake up one day and go, hmm, I think I want to be a singer. Um, it was always there. I mean, kindergarten, I was singing in preschool. Um, then the choirs right. in school, um, you know, it, it was just there and it was totally from the get go. There was no other memory or no memory of me just picking up a microphone. It was just there. Um, and I was a very determined child to my poor parents detriment. Um, <laughs> I was very headstrong and they weren't. So I'm, I'm sure I was in their eyes, a very exhausting kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just knew what I wanted from the get-go, and they weren't really buying it. And, you know, looking back on it now as an adult, I, I totally understand why. You know, you they come from a very small town, I think 5,000, 3,000 people or something like that. And, you know, you, you back then, you, you stood in line at the supermarket and read The Inquirer, and that's probably what they thought the music business and the entertainment industry was like, you know, horrible things. Sure. So I can see why they were reluctant then, but my grandmother got it. Uh, she owned a business and was very headstrong like myself. We got along swimmingly. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I may even learn that word from her. It sounded, I aged myself saying that word, swimmingly. Um, yeah, so she snuck me around. She was the one every Tuesday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We'd go to this voice coach that she found. And um, soon after, a few months, like a half a year goes by, my mother's like, what do you do? Do you go to lunch every day at two o'clock at four? Uh, at, at Tuesday <laughs> at four o'clock? She's like, "What do you do all of a sudden? Where do you guys go?" And so we had to let the cat out of the bag. And she's like, "Well, I've been bringing into this voice coach," uh, and you know, of course, that erupted into some family drama. But they soon, they soon got on oh, the bandwagon when they when they knew that, all right, this, this is what he wants to do, I guess, you know. Um, and the voice coach had a lot of connections. She was famous herself in the 70s and 80s um, all around New York and Las Vegas and had great PR people and connections. So she slowly started to get me working. Uh, and she was brilliant and is still a part of my life 24 years later. Um, oh, that's great. Uh, 
Yeah, she's part of the, the team. And so I take voice lessons to this day, learning new tricks and techniques to help, you know, maintain the, the gift. Um, so she really, you know, she said, you know, I'm going to teach you some method, but I'm going to teach you life. And that was the, that's what she has that so many voice coaches don't. They teach method, they teach stand up straight, belly in, blah, 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 blah. But she teaches that, plus she teaches if you have a cold, what you do on stage to camouflage if you can't hit the high note, you know, experience of being in trouble on stage and working through it. Those lessons are invaluable because a lot of people don't know and then they have meltdowns on stage because then sure. they haven't learned that process. And so those, those, those techniques and lessons I learned very early on and then I was thrusted out into fairs and festivals and opening up for for musical acts in my, you know, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island area. And, uh, yeah, that, I just, I was, you know, I was paying taxes and working my rear end off at, you know, starting at seven years old. I mean, to the point of flunking wow. school yeah. because I was, I was working and, and starting this demand for so long. They had to pull me out and I had to be tutored so I could learn on my own schedule. And so I was, you know, I've, I've known nothing but work my entire life. <laughs> That's for sure. That's wild. So cool, though. And, I mean, the, I've, I'm a vagabond. I've lived all over this country. I've been banished to northeast Ohio now the past 20 years. But the farthest I mm-hmm. lived was uh, Enfield, Connecticut. And I got to tell you, I love Rhode Island, especially Providence. What's that one street yeah. they have that kind of like every type of restaurant you can think of goes up and has little iron arches over it? Yeah, that's it. I love that Federal Hill, that's, um, it's great. And I'm, I'll tell you, there's so many great up-and-coming things that are happening in Rhode Island. It's really come a long way. It's a great little, it's a great nice. little city. I love that. Yeah. Let's give it this little bit. I mean, coming out journeys vary for everyone, but as a known personality like you were, there's like a hundred thousands of millions of people that have had a little more interest in yours. You came out publicly in 2014. What I like to know is mm-hmm. when did you actually come out to yourself and tell me about that. So, I was a weird one. Um, I, the only way psychologically, you know, I took psych in, in high school and further read it on after that. Um, I honestly can <clears throat> equate, I can't, I can't really come to grips with anything else but the fact that I literally was a personality before I was a person. Um, I was always this image always this voice singer, this little good little kid. So I always just thought of me as, as, a, as like a, an object rather than an, a human for a very long time. And I couldn't wow. understand why. And I was very angry, like behind the scenes. I was a very mean child. Like just because looking now at it fully, you know, a, a fully out adult uh, or, or young person, um, I think it was just because I didn't know how to react to what I was feeling, even though I didn't know what I was feeling. All I knew was it was different. Um, right. And I would harvest it and I would harbor it and, and, and react negatively. I would be this cute little thing, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, and this nice, wholesome child. But I was not the nicest person to my family and whatnot. And I, you know, 
we all understand it now, and you know, you make up for what you do. You know, I didn't do anything horrible. I was just, I was, I was very snippy and short and mean, right. and sure. um, you know, especially having to be this image. You know, that alone can make you a little annoyed or you know, uh, irritated at certain points in your life when you're, you're, you know, when you have normal teenage angst, and then you have to go out and be this thing. It's very strange to look back on. Um, but yeah, I, I, I um. I didn't really realize until I started to songwrite, if that makes any sense. Like, I didn't pay attention to what I liked, who I liked, what kind of thing I liked. There was no, <laughs> there was no sexual, there was no sexuality to me, if that makes any sense. Right. That's very strange. But I understand that. there was sure. just none of that. There was no time. It wasn't in my brain. It wasn't a process. Um, and then I started to songwrite, and I got to breathe and I was living in Nashville at that time. And, um, yeah, I, I, I really got to breathe and start to, because there was no concerts coming up. That wasn't happening at that moment. I really backstepped and went infrastructure business-wise in the studio, pushing knobs, doing pro tools, writing songs every single day, booking appointments for songwriting and ASCAP. I really went inward of, into the business rather than try to become this image again. And that's when I really started to understand that I don't think Nashville's going to like me. <laughs> it just started to oh unravel. It oh just started my. to unravel. And my truer self was coming out more and my singing was getting a little bit more, uh, you know, I always sang big and loud, but then I was starting to sing, you know, soft and, and just not the image of what they want their radio men on country to be, sadly. Um, right. And so, I, I mean, I'll never forget the, the, the icing on the, the cake was when I had this fantastic EP. It was like full of 12 songs that I was really proud of, all written by me. One in particular was a smash. I hope it belongs to someone else in years to come, you know, as they get pitched out still to this day. Um, but the man behind the desk, who was a very, very, very well-known uh, record executive, said, you know, we just don't like our men sounding like Carrie Underwood. And I went... Rude. I got to get out of here. <laughs> and so just at that time, the, that, at that time, the voice started to call. And by, by this time, I've, I'm moving back. I'm moving out of Nashville. I had been there for six, seven years. And now I'm like, now what am I going to do? I have this amazing gift, but I just don't know where to go. People were like, well, you figure it out. See you later. You know, it was this really pivotal, dark moment. Um, and this was around 2012, 2013, um, that all of this started to unravel. And then that's when I started to really um, come to grips with this might be the situation. And this, this thing, I, I think <laughs> I might be, I think I might be gay. And I know I am. Now I'm starting to really, it was festering and it was building into this moment. And so then I... Um, yeah, just started to, to really examine myself in that light. And I will tell you, as I started to scarily creep along quietly, <clears throat> I didn't know how my parents would react. I didn't know how anyone was going to react. I mean, let sure. alone a whole career. You know, I mean, my career was very quiet at that moment, but still there's a legacy there that God knows. You know, you just don't know. So I, I kept it hidden for a good, well, from 2013 to a till about the coming out video because I really told my parents and I told my team maybe 
a week and a half before that. Um, wow. So I kind of really, again, I was a very strong-headed child, and I was a very strong-headed <laughs> person coming to grips with this, and we're going to move full speed ahead. And I, I really didn't I, – I, I always said I'm going to go at it 100 miles an hour because if I don't and people are reacting negatively, meaning my parents weren't accepting or my vocal coach who's been my second mother wasn't accepting or whatever, I knew if I was moving fast, there'd be no time to – There'd be no time to uh, look at the riffraff, you know, in case of a situation. Right. I'd, be, awesome. I'd be blinded by the speed. <clears throat> and so if that makes any sense, this is just my personal journey. No, um, it does. No, I totally understand that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, everyone was, everyone was more upset that, that I couldn't feel comfortable going to them than the actuality of, of their son or their nephew or their grandson or whatever being gay and right. I thought, wow, I'm, I'm so lucky. And that was good enough. The business should not know. I don't know who you go to home, home with. I don't know who uh, such and such of Capitol records goes home, goes to bed with or whatever. I didn't think that that's anyone's right. business, but apparently it's majorly their business, their business <laughs> when you're the face Somehow. of something. Right. So, and I, and I, understand. so now I'm, Exactly. And I didn't understand that. And I should have, because it's all I've really ever known. Um, but uh, it really came to a head. So I had come out a few weeks, like I said, very short order. Um, and I was at a festival <clears throat> with my boyfriend at the time. And someone, someone said, hey, can we get a picture? And I said, oh, okay. And I walked to that person getting ready to put my arm around them to take a picture. And they're like, no, of you two. And I went, oh, boy. And I went, yeah, mm. if I'm going to be starting now to come out and, you know, I've, I've, I had been in the relationship, I, I hid the relationship for seven months. Um, uh, so I said, you know, now if I'm going to – I've come out to my parents but not the world. If I'm going to start, something, something's going to happen where I'm not going to be at the helm of the ship, and who knows what they'll say, which 90% right. of the time is a lie. So um, – I was like, okay, I might, you know, be quieter level of success, Billy Gilman, but there's still a name here, and I want to, I want to create a great headline rather than some drama or a, or a stupid thing. So, because of that, uh, a very well-known magazine approached me to be the cover, and I didn't have a project yet. I had released a single, say you will, that was like getting millions of spins on Spotify. Still, so I mean, I was, I was starting to work again a little bit, so I was fine. I didn't, I didn't want the image on this cover have it look like, oh, he's telling his personal life to sell a book or sell a record or sell a tour. Because that's what people think. It's it's even what I think sometimes. Oh, there's an agenda here and he's going to, they're going to use their lifestyle. That's just me. That's my personal thing. Some people think it's very, very nice to release themselves on a cover of a magazine. Good for you. That's great. I'm not that way. (laughs) So I was trying to come to, to grips with, how was I going to do this? I know I have to, blah, 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 blah. So I, I came to the, to the idea of I'm just going to do it on a YouTube video. I'm going to stand in front of my phone, and I'm going to spill my guts to my fans, the ones that need to know, and, and I need their love, and I need their honesty if they'd be still fans. I mean, you know, I'm sure I lost a few. Uh, I've gained so many. Um, and so I said to myself, I'm just going to release this video. And within an hour and 45 minutes of me putting it out there, it had over 2 million views. 
Right. So it completely, it completely went viral, and I went, oh, that's exactly what I knew was going to happen because, funny enough, <laughs> about two hours before then, unbeknownst to me, I hadn't spoken to this guy in maybe five years. He was on my label. He was on Sony with me. Ty Hernan came out about an hour or two right. before me, and I didn't, I didn't catch it because here I am doing my own thing in my own little bubble. So I instantly got on the phone with him. I go, uh, I heard some funny news about you. And he goes, I heard some funny news about you too. <laughs> it was quite funny it, and totally coincidental, totally coincidental. It was like, wow. like a, a, a God wink, you know, we're going to do it together right. in some weird way. And it was very strange, but it kind of softened the blow, but, but not in the way of impacting Nashville. That's massive. Two country artists come out the same day. Unbeknownst. Sure. But it kind of softened the blow for both of us because all of a sudden, I mean, he led a different life. He's older than I am, so I give him respect for dealing with what he had to deal with in many different levels of of, of uh, animosity toward, you know, from people or you know, you know, as a young person in the gay community, you know, it's my job to honor what what so many other generations before me went through. I can't imagine how tough it was. So, you know, maybe well, it helped you, him. Yeah. You know, maybe it maybe it softens the blow for him too. It definitely softened the blow for me to lean on someone, you know, that's going through the exact same thing. It was totally right. funny uh, and and totally on accident. So yeah, so I did the video and it and it went viral and <laughs> you know everyone got to got to really understand what was going on. And then uh, some of my team, Team Billy Gilman, that has been a part of my life since One Voice, that are in Nashville, um, came to me and said, you know, we would never to you are you what's what's going on that's your personal deal that's your life they said now that you've come out we applaud you we respect you we'll always work for you and be by your side and fight for your career and a lot of times she they said but they also said you don't you will never get the magnitude of that lingering over your head in this town and i went what lingering over my head and they said it's the speculation since you that since you started one voice, is he gay? Is he not gay? I'm like, you're kidding me. Not oh well, this is a great song, it's a great voice. You know, this is whatever. Even an okay voice or a sucky voice or I hate this song. It should be about that. And to hear them right. say that, I knew then that I needed to really redirect my sales and start just letting my voice do its thing and find its own home, if you will. Um, so that's when I said yes to the voice, you know, about a year and a half later, um, I, I said, that. okay, I'm going to jump in, but I'm going to do it my way. You know, I'm not going to be what is, what was, I'm not going to go on and sing one voice or whatever the hell people may remember. I'm going to go on there and I'm singing Celine Dion because I can, and not many men can. <laughs> so I just right. totally was like secretariat at the end of the race. Bam. Just let me go. <laughs> I know what I need to do because it was organically me. It was coming from the nucleus of what I so badly wanted America to hear, even at one voice times, I would go and do these songs. And that was the image that was in front of you all. And then I go on the bus or the hotel and I would blast and sing the power of love or, or, um, uh, you know, where the broken hearts go, like these big ballads. And I'm like, man, I just wish America could hear me do these songs. And then my voice changed and that went by the wayside, all my, big songs. I couldn't do it anymore. And I was like scared to death that it wasn't going to come back. And luckily it came back to me. I like this version of me better than the kid sounding. It's just more to give, more to, to reach and all of that. And 
I'm very fortunate right. it came back. So when I knew it was as strong as it was as a child, just in a different way, I was so relieved to know that it never really left. It just had a moment of, of growing up, you know? So, and I was very fortunate right. to have that kind of a voice for that show. Cause I, you know, I so badly wanted them to hear it at 12. I was hoping they could hear it at, you know, 27, 26. <laughs> Luckily mother nature was kind. <laughs> right. That is a great story. And so, so, um, so it, it brings your growth so much. It's, it's great to hear that story, how you kind of grew with your own experiences there. So that's an amazing story. Now talking about, you talked about Ty and of course we had Shelly Wright that really kind of trailblazed a little bit before that. And now we have like, I've had Cameron Absolutely. Hawthorne and Brandon Stansel on my show. Brandy Carlisle's had some amazing recognition. Have you ever Absolutely. thought about dipping your toes back into the country waters now that it feels like well, it's a little more a thing? Um, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, listen, I still pay homage to my country roots in my show. I mean, I, it was uh, the only way I, I can make someone understand what it felt like for me personally would be like giving your child up for adoption. Not, it's worse because that's really a bad situation. But that's how it felt like to me. I was being pulled from a situation that I so loved and honored. I mean, I every Friday night I was watching the Grand Old Opry and then the Gaither Gospel Hour and knew Farron Young's hit and, and knew that Tammy Wynette was this age when she sang apartment number nine. And now all of a sudden you're telling me my love and history because of who I love, I have to be pulled away from this. It was very, very, a very dark time and many on so many different levels. Um, but, you know, times change and I'm a very forgiving person. So you never, you never know. My love is, will always be with country music. My voice can do way more than just that one genre, fortunately. If you think of about course, it. yeah. Um, but I would, I would never, never be, um, you know, never say never. Absolutely. If, if the situations were right and it was equal and, the, you know, they were going to give me a push like they give everyone else a push and not be nervous to have my voice on the radio or people wanting to turn it off. I don't think they would. I don't, it's funny, uh, you know, the, I don't think the record companies, I know they're scared at that thought or whatever, because not, we're not there yet. So there is some kind of right. pushback, but it's definitely, honestly, the more I'm out there on the road now, I've, I'm on the road more now more than I have been in probably 15 years. I mean, we're doing, you know, well, I mean, I've done well over 470 shows since the voice. Um, right. So, I, I mean, a lot of work I've put forth and, Big crowds, I mean, 10,000 crowds, 1,000 people, 80 people, <laughs> people don't care. The buying demographic just wants to hear your music and feel inspiration in, in the fight and whatever it may be. The buying demographic, I don't think, really cares anymore. And, it, you know, we'll, we'll get there, but at the expense of my timeline, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I'm only this right. age for so long, and then you get to going and you're too old or whatever. So, exactly. yeah, yeah I, 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 hope, I hope that they come to grips because there'd be nothing more, a, a better headline than to say, you know, Billy Gilman comes home or something like that. I mean, how cool would that be? So I, I would say amazing. never, but right. yeah. And never it's say slowly never. <laughs> turning, like I said, we had Stansel on CMT, his video on there. So, I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's a little bit of progress going on, but uh, hopefully, like I said, and I think that would be amazing. Thing. 
feel for you. Exactly. Now, you talked about yep. that being a dark period. I want to talk about that a second. You've talked very openly about depression, mental health worries. Um, I've gone through this myself. Um, my mom was my rock. You talk about being the same. Talk about that journey. How important has it been to you not only have a support system, but to have people you want to make yourself a better person for? Oh, all of the above on all of that. And it, and you have to have a support to be a support. That's just, I mean, uh, my admiration comes from the people. Um, what was that movie? Like, to me, that's the biggest, in, that was the most inspirational thing to me. It was, I forget the name of it, but it was the point in the movie where uh, Will Smith is homeless in the bathroom with his son, and he rose up from that. You know, he was alone. Oh, Sunshine something. That something when, about Sunshine. Yeah, that was a great movie. At, you know, that was a pivotal image in my head because he had nothing. Luckily, I, I you know, and that in his situation in the movie, but, you know, I didn't know who was going to be accepting and who wasn't. So when I found out that everyone was way more accepting than I ever imagined and it was no big deal. I mean, it was like, okay, and, yeah, we're, we're going to hate the person you love? Why, why, why would you even think that? That was the common thread in my family and my friends and so I was very, very blessed, which gave me so much fuel to try in the most respectful way to combat the, the bigotry and the ignorance. I mean, after my YouTube video, the, the letters and the messages that I still continually get from people in middle America or in real small towns where people just, you know, they just don't get it. Uh, they're being thrown out of their homes and they're living under uh, overpasses and it's just, I can't fathom doing that to your blood, but many people, many people do. And it's my job and my honor, more than a job, to create normalities for people that don't get it. Because I honestly, in my opinion, it, the, the ignorance just comes from a lack of normality and a lack of knowledge. I don't think it's, I don't think it's genuine hate. Um, I just think it's, 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 it's just different. And if you're not knowledgeable with certain things, you instantly go to, to a negative tone. You know, whether, but right. when you're knowledgeable and it's different, you are open-minded and you accept reality. I just think that's what it stems down to. I don't think a father really loves to throw his son out. I, I, I couldn't see that being a happy moment for this person. Um, so like when, you know, so I just, I, I try to create songs and messages that will inspire the person going through that hard time and hopefully, you know, reach out to their, to their people that are shunning them or whatever situation they may have and, and, and create, you know, hope for, for, for these people and, and, and be a, and be a, a soldier, no pun intended for, for them, you know, and it's, it's, it's my, right. it's my civ civil duty to be, to be a, to be something for these kids and, and young adults and adults, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's unfathomable to the letters I still get. It really is. <clears throat> I love that. I love that. And to shout out to Will Smith, the pursuit of happiness was that movie. I looked it up while you were talking there. Oh, yeah, I'm telling it, you that I movie. still, yeah, I, I still see that in my head sometimes, you know, because it, it gets very dark and it got very dark because not only did I have a career, you know, that's, you know, at whatever level it was at the moment, you know, I'm, I'm pondering on that scary factor of my livelihood and then my personal, I, I, it was a bad, bad time. And, and, um, yeah, it, it got sure. really, it, it got, it got bad. It, it really did. I, I can't, I can't deny that. Um, 
yeah, yeah it, it's not fun, believe me. But like I said, you know, I, I just kept seeing my mother's face. That's all I kept seeing in my in in my darkest moments of, you know, whatever situation was in my head at that moment. And all I just kept thinking was, you know what? You know, she, you know, her sons are her breath. I, I, you know, that would pull me out of anything. You know, it's pretty strong. You're a family love when it's that deep. Um, I'm right can with help you, there, you because, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable as a looking at my young career as an adult or semi-adult, I guess. Um, some people would argue <laughs> that my age is adult, but it is. Looking at that now, it's 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 kind of remarkable to see me go through all of that, plus quietly my own battle, and not turn to any kind of drug or or and it was so vastly out there, and all my little career friends were doing it, and I never touched it, and I'm so grateful because I see some of my friends really struggling, and I try and reach out and. And, um, you know, they're on their own path, you know, and I'm just so grateful that my story didn't go to the usual kind of ending, if you will, or the usual kind of method. I'm very fortunate about that. So it was, it it was tough. It really was to pull, pull pull yourself out. We are fortunate as well, my friend, to still have you uh, being able to Uh, talk about all this and kind of sharing the story with others. Talk about and talk about support. Um, you've talked about individual support you did receive from some great country music stars. What's the crossover been like? Is the music industry kind of accepting when you start changing or blending genres? And you can think of Taylor Swift, of course. But uh, what what's what have you experienced? I can imagine Adam Levine has been a great source of inspiration. What kind of Absolutely. have you heard from from other people? Oh, all, all support. I mean, I just was with Vince Gill a few months back, and he was so supportive. And um, a lot, a lot. Of the, I haven't met anyone that's not, unless they're lying to my face. You know, I'm. Uh, I really, you know, the Keith Urbans, and then you get the Demi Lovatos, who has been a, such a support, and she's been a fan of mine since One Voice. And and technically, when you really think about my career, it's always been kind of like an anomaly. It's always been this own island. I mean, I had strings and orchestrations in my in my songs. I mean, I wasn't with a belt buckle yodeling. So, I mean, I wasn't really strictly country, which allowed, has allowed me to lessen the shock value of, oh, my God, he's doing this song now, because it always sounds cohesive. And I've tried to do that from the get-go. I've always tried to keep it universal and you know there were many fans of one voice that listened to pop radio <laughs> you know so i mean my sure. my career has always crisscrossed and it's really great and stands for an even better opportunity for me in 2020 2021 that Marin morris and dan and shay are with justin bieber and all these people you know it's they're all crossing and which is great because they're great songs and and who's say that's not allowed to be a success so um definitely i'm i'm loving i'm loving seeing what's happening nowadays and i've always kind of done that so it's not really a switch on and off it's more of just okay i'm just going to continue to do exactly what i do and hopefully someone will you know go oh we get it he's worked hard let's let's try you know what i mean that's really what it comes down to i've just always stayed my own path and even singing celine dion on 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 the show um uh, 
I've always done, I mean, one voice was a big ballad, so what's the difference? You know, it really doesn't sound that different, you know? So I've, I've always just been me, you know? <laughs> Even though I had an image well, of the I didn't like, <laughs> I didn't like some of the songs I had to sing, like the snake song and all those little quirky things, the country right. song. Like those were images that they wanted to create, which I get. And that's what I mean by I would go after all of that and into the hotel and sing the Celine Dion song. And I, I wish that could have been um, brought to light as well. You know, I own, I own, it, it just adds to the diversity. But then, you know, again, looking back at it, if I did all of that then, where, where was there to grow? So timing is everything and everything happens for a reason. I, I really believe that. There you go. Well said. Well, speaking of timing, I think it's time to play your newest single, Soldier. Amazing song. We're going to talk about it afterwards. Let's take a quick break here. We're talking to Billy Gilman. This is his latest single, Soldier, and we'll talk about it after the break here. We'll be back in just a couple of seconds. You're listening to the Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Love is in battle. We built this tower, this tower of Babel, the sabers may rattle, but I'm only fighting for you. You're my obsession, my love, my rival, this song is a lesson, these words are survival, and I'm never letting you go. I'ma keep fighting. Betraying, so baby, stop playing. Cause I won't be waving the white. If you're not gonna walk it, then baby, don't talk it. Your words are like bullets, but I'm wearing armor and I'm never letting you go. I'ma keep fighting. I'll be standing right here in the mess that we made Cause I'm never gonna, no, I'm never gonna let you go Some battles are won and some battles are lost But you live with the pain cause there's always a cost But I'm never gonna, no, I'm never gonna let you go Cause baby, I'm a soldier, soldier Baby, I'm a soldier, soldier Baby, I'm a soldier Baby, I'm a I'm a keep fighting
are back, and that is the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Billy Gilman with Soldier. Dude, congratulations on this great single. Fantastic. I mean, you're dealing with some powerful themes this video. You got homelessness, addiction, bullying. How is that to deal with? Was it cathartic? Are you battling and winning against some of your own demons, or does it bring you back to that darker space? What was that process like for you? Oh, absolutely. It was all of it. It was all of those emotions that you said. You know, it brings you back, you know, when I was really traveling uh, as a child. I mean, I was almost, you know, flunking school um, because I was working so hard and trying to, you know, to uh, juggle this flourishing career plus something so important as your education. It was really hard. So I was in school up until seventh, eighth grade, uh, and the bullying that I got as my career started to happen was astonishing and, and it leaves scars, you know, it, it can't help but not. So I can't imagine, mm-hmm. and that was 20 years, 21 years ago. I can't imagine what kids hear in the hallways nowadays. I mean, I get a little glimpse of it from family members. Um, you know, they and it follows them on social media now too. I mean, you know, social media bullying, I mean, it's just worse. It's oh. horrible. And because, you know, the, the anonymity, the, the anonymous factor of you can be a music fan 101 and be the most terrific person, and it can be your neighbor. How do you know? Um, right. It's, it's, really, it's really crazy. So when I did this video, I didn't want it to be like me standing on a rock. I'm going to keep fighting. You know, it had to touch on the subjects that millions upon millions are going through, and some of them are still, you know, the anti-bullying movement, you know, it, 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 it's stated a lot in, in our world, but there's, we have such a long way to go. And um, so when I, did the, when, I, when, I, when I did the video, I got to co-direct it. Luckily, they allowed, they allowed me to because I had such strong visions and images, and I, I knew what the people should look like. So when we auditioned people, I knew exactly what we had to cast and, and what kind of clothing they had on and the kind of eye, shape of the eyebrows to formulate the, the, you know, the scared factor, you know, the eyes tell the story. And... Um, when I uh, That's awesome. was do- when I was doing the video, I subconsciously or quietly, if you were paying attention, like a Hitchcock film, you know how he walks behind in one of the main things is a little like thing. He always used to walk behind in his own video. You'd have to find right. him. Right. Um, it's like a you know a, a little a little uh, tidbit that only his fans would know. But if you're a fan of mine, um, I not only made the um, not only made the kid be bullied in this in the school scene but i had him take a gun with him or referencing a gun uh, we didn't actually bring right. a gun on school property even a fake one um it was all post production but because of the support he had his army if you will keep on fighting soldier his army surrounded him at the moment of he was about to do something horrific and he didn't end up right. doing it almost like when the kid brought the gun on the bus on one voice, and then he ended up not doing anything and threw it in the river. So I kind of paid an an homage to my past in in a very subliminal way. But if you pay attention, it's it's streamlined to what I did 20 years ago because it still is the same message. And uh, I love that. I crazy. didn't catch that. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's no no one could say I'm not consistent, and if, if anything. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, are you still, are you writing all your own stuff now? Is this all you, or do you get are you taking submissions, or how's that working? So you know, um, I always love to um, write my own stuff if I feel uh, inclined to, or inspired by a by a situation, or upset about a situation. 
um, like all the, the latest ones I've released, uh, Say You Will, The Choice, um, you know, those are all written by me, but Soldier was not, but I couldn't ignore the message. Um, I couldn't ignore the, the, the strength in that song. Uh, so I was like, I don't care if it's not written, if it's written or not written by me. A great song is a great song, and I'll be damned if my 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 uh, foundation, my path, my idea of who I am. I'm I always see myself as a messenger, and I would have been foolish to let that kind of inspiring song sneak through my hands and onto someone else, just because that's just my mo. Um, sure. So I, I I had to do it and I had to let it be the first single because I mean it, I mean it, it's so universal. Keep fighting. It could be for Monday Night Football. It could be for the kid in the school. It could be for a, a presidential race. It could be anything. You know, it's so universal. This 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 message. It's kind of a neat thing. You know, so the possibilities are endless and we get thrown uh, ideas all the time. Would you be willing to use it for this and? You know, I got to be careful on certain things. You know, I'm first and foremost an entertainer. I don't like to throw my own uh, political or religious or whatever agendas down people's throats. It's just not my thing. But you can still be inspiring and give hope and give faith, you know, and I think that is a bigger, broader picture. So that's why I chose that song. But the songs coming forward, um, a few of them are written by me and a few aren't. So, yeah, I take all – if I believe in the song and I get goosebumps, you can't fake – you can't fake the hair on your neck standing up. So those are signs that I look for when I hear a song, you know. <laughs> I love it. Well, a good choice on you, man. And like you said, you made it your own with that video and everything. And just congratulations. Fantastic. Um, Thank you. Thank where are you, you at now? Are you, are you going to create an EP? Are you looking for a full-fledged album? I mean, music is so weird now. It's got to be strange to you. Everything is like singles and streaming and stuff like that. What's music like to you now? Once I finally got to understand where we are and and funny the fact that I couldn't understand it it was so funny because before I really got got it if you will, I was doing it but not understanding it. So in other words I was doing exactly what the buying demographic are doing going on, uh, hearing a song on the radio going to iTunes, purchasing that one single right? I was doing that but then right. I would go and be Billy Gilman, and I'd be like, well, why aren't they buying my whole record? And I'm like, dude, you don't do it either. It's just the way it works, but, which is great because there were so many times in the past when you would make a full-length record, 11, 12 songs, and number seven was your favorite, your favorite song, and it never saw the light of day because it was just an right. album, a deep cut. You know, This is a chance for every song to live its full potential. If it flops in three months, well, you know, then you move on to another one. But it gives every song the chance, which I think is so great for, say I didn't write the song, it gives this songwriter such a chance and a shot. And, uh, you know, right. other than just being number six on this whole CD. So I like the one by one by one, which in time creates a whole either EP or record. In nine months, you have nine songs or... In nine months, you have six songs. That's technically an EP as well. So you you do them one by one to create the mosaic. Uh, I love that. There's a there's a talk about me doing a limited edition um, soldier vinyl, which would be really cool. Um, that so, would be. Oh my yeah, goodness. There's all kinds of things that are being thrown at me right now, and I just have to believe that 
the things that are being thrown at me aren't being thrown and then forgotten or not paid attention to. I want to make my relationships in my path going forward something that everybody is really believing in and won't just drop the ball because that's in this day and age, I can't afford, you can't afford that, you know? So I just have to believe in the passion that these people are displaying and that they want to continue the path with me for, for longer than <laughs> a half a second. Right. <laughs> no, I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, plus everything is so content driven now. It's you need to have that content where you bring a song every two to six months. So to keep the, the public is so fickle now. It's really weird. I mean, I don't understand how you music people can do it because it is, uh, it's, it's like you said, it's not just showcase the music, but they all, they want to have the video with it now, or they want to have, to be able to talk about it and have it trend on social media. It's just a weird space anymore, but good on right. you for and navigating did, it. Yeah. And what I did going forward with soldier, because I believe, you know, when I read an article that it took John legend, uh, his song, all of me, it took 11 months just to get to where it really took off. I'm like, see, you just keep, no, no pun intended. You keep fighting and you keep hitting the pavement until that breakthrough, you know? And um, with the video, I there's piece by piece in the main one. But what I went back to create more content, I went back to the directors and I said, I want each individual section its own video. So the entire video is the homelessness. The entire video is the bullying. The entire video is the opioid segment. It's not just splices. It's the, it's the whole story from beginning to end, which created more content and be on the lookout for them as well. So, yeah, that that's just just things you do. <laughs> very, very. And like we talked about earlier, you are on the road constantly, it seems, these days. Let's talk about this current tour. Uh, you're going to have a couple of days off here, then you're going to be starting back another swing at the end of March. I think it's one day in New Jersey, then a swing through Texas in April, and then we're excited to have you in Ohio in May. Talk about this upcoming tour a bit. Yeah, so, so um, I, I love my theaters, and I love my – 1,000, 15, 2,000 seaters, whatever they are, if people come, that's a lot of stress. And, you know, you may not be the number one selling artist right now, and so I don't necessarily want that stress. And luckily, my favorite thing, post-voice, and it never was pre-voice. I used to be freaked out when there'd be 200 people or 150 people or 100 people. Uh, <laughs> that, to me, was worse than 10,000 people because you can see their pupils, you can see their reactions, you can, you're there right there. I hated right. that. Now, now because of the newfound confidence that the voice really gave me, I mean, it gave me my life back in many ways that it doesn't even, more than just letting people know that I'm alive. I mean, my intuition and my gut and my curiosity and my strength and all the things that are built almost like a therapist <laughs> um, <laughs> was given to me because of that show. And I found that when I would do the 1,000-seaters and then I would do a 400-seater, the 400-seater gave me more energy and more bang than the 1,000 seats, and it, I just couldn't reach. So I went back to my team, and I said, you know what? If I have to do 10 more than normal to meet what we need to meet, that's fine. But I'm loving these smaller venues, and I want to call it the Just Me, Just You Intimate Sessions. And I want to go back to singing one voice. I want to, I want to take them on a journey and just build that grassroots kind of effort to wherever it will lead, because I just feel that these people are seeing my heart in the intimate sessions more than the other ones. I just, that's just my feeling at this moment. And so they just started, you know, hitting the pavement, you know, seeing what venues would be interested in this. And luckily quite a few and many going forward. I mean, we're booked now till August. 
Um, so it's just a great, great intimate show that I take you on the journey. I do some of the voice songs. I do some of my older songs. I do cover songs. I do one of the songs that literally gave me my record deal because there was one song uh, that really turned around, turned people's heads. So it's a whole journey, a great fun journey. And you come in the door and hopefully forget about your problems and feel a little bit better when you leave. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, I am looking forward to it. Like I said, you're coming through my neck of the woods here in Ohio. So we're going to have to have a cocktail or a smoothie or something. And I'm excited for you, my friend. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. It always is. It always is. Exactly. We're running out of time. I (laughs) want to wrap it up real quickly. I want to get personal just for two seconds. I've been following you and your relationship with Christopher for a long time. You guys are such a great couple, and it seems like it's probably one of your longest relationships. Tell me about how the artist and the techie met and what that's, what kind of foundation <laughs> in your music now. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> well, we met uh, via – I was writing a song, as I often do, and I was getting ready to record it and was pulled out of the studio to do an, a, a TV thing, or I was, but I was away from the studio, so I hired a demo singer. And the demo singer just happened to be one of Chris's best friends. And through the powers that be, that's how it got uh, got arranged. And I, I messaged him one night, and I said, you know, I've never really done this before because um, I was scared to death to try anything, like I said in before and in, earlier on in the interview, way earlier on. You know, <clears throat> I was a personality before I was a person. So no matter right. if I'm number one on the charts or number 1,000 on the charts, way down, your name is still out there. So I didn't know if he would like me for me. I didn't know if he knew me. I didn't know if he wanted, you know, I'd be taken for a ride. You don't know anything, especially in this day and age. Right. Um, there's a whole catfish on MTV, a, a, season, you know, a series, you know, you just don't know. So add somewhat of a name to that, not being egotistical. I'm just saying the truth. I just didn't know. So I never put myself forward like that. Never, never. So then we met a, a week later after we said hellos and Six and a half years later, you know, that's that's the way that one happened. And I'm very grateful. And, you know, he... he well, congratulations. Uh, he, you look very much in love. You. And it's, it's exciting to see. Tell Chris when you see him that I think he has the best head of hair in tech. I'm impressed with his hair. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I will. That's funny. How did you guys <laughs> do this whole cruise thing? I saw it on social. You guys were on the cruise lately. We had this whole Corona thing. Was that a freaky experience? Was that a fun experience? Was that a vacation? It was a working holiday was, for you, obviously. How was that trip? Yes, it was a working holiday. Uh, but it was creepy because it was right before it started to really spread. So we kind of did it right in the nick of time. You know what I mean? But uh, other people, right. unfortunately, in, you know, in these last few weeks have had a real issue I've been watching on the news. But uh, it was fun, yeah. It's it's great, you know. I always have to be careful. I can't really have fun, fun because, um, you know, I have to be careful of my voice and and keep it healthy and, you know, all sure. of that. So, you know, but it's nice that you know sometimes we can we can do things together rather than be separate because you know he has a very very important job and it takes him in a different direction and of course mine takes me all over hell's creation. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Well, Billy Gilman, it's been a pleasure having you on the Left of Straight show. We have to have you back again. I'm looking forward to seeing you next month or a month and a half, I guess, in uh, Ohio here. Give everyone for me your web address and your social media so they can follow along on this amazing journey you have going on. 
Sure. I mean, if you really want to follow every day, day in and day out, it's Instagram slash Billy Gilman official. And then with the blue check, there are so many wackos out there that are trying to, you know, message my fans. If there's no blue check beside my name, it's fake. People, please believe me because I'm getting it constantly. Um, and then for the tour date, you can go to BillyGilman.com and you can see the Soldier video. You can uh, preview my iHeartRadio guest DJ playlist of all my favorite songs I play before I do a show. Um, and then, of course, the, the, tour, the, the tour schedule. And then I think in about a month or two, I have a brand new merch uh, section with some, uh, some fun stuff. So, oh, yeah, all, all fun stuff happening. <laughs> Well, my friend, it's been my pleasure to talk on you. Keep on the line for me. We're going to play out with one of my favorite songs that Billy covered on The Voice, Man in the Mirror. And we'll be back on Left (laughs) Us Right for a little bit. Billy, have a great afternoon, my friend. Stay on the line. Thank you, Scott. I'm going to make a change. For once in my life, yeah, it's gonna feel real good. Gonna make a difference. Gonna make it right. As I turn up the collar on my favorite winter coat, this wind is blowing my mind. I see the kids in the street. We're not enough to eat. Who am I to be blind, pretending not to see their needs? My summer's disregard, a broken bottle top, and a one-man soul. They come to each other all the way, you know, cause they got Guys, let's get to it. My next guest here on Broadway in such great productions as the South Pacific Revival and the Adams Family. He's created his own one-man Broadway review show, and that's led him to opera, where he's made an amazing career performing across the country and the world. He is currently in Minnesota preparing for the world premiere of Edward Tulane, 
We actually met over social media as I've been going on and on about the election, as you know, I do. And when I saw his profile, I knew I had to have him on the show. He's out and proud, inspiring others in the entertainment world. And I'm excited to have him on the show for the first time. Please welcome Mr. Zachary James. Zach, how you doing, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Welcome to the show. How is everything in beautiful downtown Minnesota this fine day? Oh, it's great. Yeah, we're here with uh, Minnesota Opera. As you said, working on the world premiere of Edward Tulane by Paola Prestini. Uh, It's based on a uh, children's book called The Miraculous Adventure of Edward Tulane by Kate DiCamillo. Uh, It's a really cool story and kind of a new niche for opera in that it's an opera for all ages, but written in a very sophisticated style. Um, a lot of times we get uh, operas for children that are just recycled, you know, Rossini and Mozart. Right, and this right. is an actual like grand opera written for all ages. It's really inspiring. Fantastic. We'll talk about that more in a bit. Let's go ahead and uh, get into some uh, background here. It's, it was great to meet you. Like I said, we've been friends on Facebook. Um, it was just kind of fun to get a message from you and go, wait a second, why have I not been, had this guy on the show before? Uh, talk a little <laughs> bit about where you grew up, uh, what kind of kid were you, and what do you want to be when you grew up? Sure. Um, I'm from Spring Hill, Florida. Uh, it's uh, about an hour north of Tampa and um, kind of a mix between the suburbs and the woods. Um, I come from a musical family, so you know, music was introduced to me when I was very young, and I was put on piano lessons when I was four. Um, my dad is a guitar teacher and performer, um, and uh, you know, I, I knew I always wanted to be in music from that age onward. I used to, um, I remember like dressing up as a conductor for career day at school in elementary school, <laughs> and um, I always had these these ambitions of being in classical music. And for a long time, I thought I was going to be a classical pianist. But it was when I um, kind of shifted to um, marching band and doing these big marching band shows and show choir and getting on stage for the first time and then doing musicals in high school that I realized I liked the spotlight uh, more than the piano bench. <laughs> nice, nice. I like it. Very cool, very cool. And talk about what was your... Um, what were some of your earliest performances that you remember that kind of really got that bug solidified for you? Well, we did Grease in my high school, and that was the first musical I ever did. Uh, first time on stage acting and singing. And, um, oh, we did, you know, a Christmas Carol every year, and I had the great fortune to go to a couple theater camps uh, in Florida um, on summer break in high school. And so I kind of just, you know, got bit by the bug kind of late um a lot of my friends had been doing shows already and i think i was um halfway through my second year in high school when i first got on stage and um i didn't really have much experience singing you know i didn't know much about it it just felt good and i really wasn't good at it i have to be honest it took a lot of training and finding the right voice teachers on my journey to um become who I am today. And I never in a million years thought I was going to do opera. That was like, so not on my radar. <laughs> right. I want to talk about that in a second. I mean, so you're not what you weren't naturally, you thought gifted with music. Did no one said you got a thing. You kind of actually had to work for it then is what you're saying. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was not like a natural singer and, and a lot of people are, they're just born with this voice and then they work on perfecting it. And I really had to build it from the ground up. And where'd you get this amazing, like Mr. Microphone voice? You have this great baritone based voice. Do you, did you have that relatively early in life though? Or has that, have you gone deeper over the years? Yeah, it came later. <laughs> I remember a, a friend in high school was like, dude, when is your voice going to change? You sound like a girl, you know, and I was like, oh, thank you. You know, <laughs> um, it was kind of horrifying. And of course, at that time, like I already knew I was gay and I, I didn't think, you know, growing up in Florida where I was, I didn't imagine I would ever come out. My plan for myself was to marry a woman and, and most likely be a music teacher and just you know, I didn't even think it was a possibility um, to have the life I have today. So, um, but my voice changed uh, really not until college. I was a tenor through my freshman year of college. And then um, I got cast in a production of Candide in the chorus and they had some supporting roles. And I think they gave me this bass solo because I was tall and imposing and it was the Grand Inquisitor <laughs> scene in Candide. And I sang it and they were like, uh, you're a bass. <laughs> and, fun. you know. Yeah, I thought I was just like making funny noises, but they were like, "Yeah, you're you're a bass dude. You need to um, <laughs> go train as a, a bass or bass baritone, or you know." So then I started to line up with the right teachers who really helped me find that. But you know, I, the teacher I finally ended up with, I've been with for 18 years now. Oh, that's great! Wow. Yeah. I was the opposite way. I was a tenor of acting choir, and now I swear I've gone to soprano half the time. My voice is going nice as I get older. It's uh, horrible. <laughs> uh, well, some of us I just want to talk can a only bit imagine about your coming those, out no. journey. I mean, I read you sort of accidentally yeah. came out to friends in college. When did you first come out? Yeah, to you yourself? read that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, I definitely remember in elementary school. Um, feeling things for boys that I didn't really understand, but it was just like this rush of almost like a heat, you know, that you feel in your body when you're around someone. And I thought that was just friendship and what that felt like. Um, Cause right. I've primarily had my friends have all been females my whole life. Even to this day, I don't have a lot of male friends, but um, so I wasn't around boys a lot, but then, you know, I think, I was paired up with a boy, like we became desk mates. They had desks in like couplings in elementary school. And um, yeah, it was that first time I felt that rush and I was like, Oh, what is that? Wow. It must mean what it is to, (laughs) you know, be friends with boys. (laughs) So, but then, you know, as I grew older that I was able to kind of articulate that into more of a, that it was an actual attraction. And, um, but it was really horrifying. It wasn't something I wanted for myself. Um, because of the environment I grew up in. And I don't mean my family. My family is very liberal and supportive, and I'm not the only um, gay person in my family by any means. Um, and uh, But it was just the environment I grew up in, a school where people were being called faggot, you know, and, and that was like the worst thing you could say to someone. So that's what all the right. boys were called. Um, and uh, it just didn't at all seem like an option at all. And so uh, it was, it was when I got to college when I was actually around other out gay people and it was kind of like an instant identification and um, a reckoning. And I had to face that and move on. Gotcha. Well, that's great that you're actually able. I mean, 
considering what you thought for yourself for your life that you didn't think you'd ever be able to live your true self, that you're able to do it relatively early. College is relatively early in a lifespan. That's kind of yeah. cool that you're able to kind of figure that out for yourself. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it was hard for sure, and and uh, it it felt shameful. Um, but, you know, I, I was able to surround myself with the right people who supported me in that journey. And, of course, being in theater was very helpful. That's fantastic. Well, right. I mean, in Broadway, you basically can, can't shake a stick without hitting a gay person somewhere. But talk about that in opera. How did that transition world, what did you find when you first stepped into that world? Um, it was a little shocking at first because I didn't – I thought it would be the same um, as the musical theater world, and it's just not. And one big difference between opera and musical theaters, you know, on Broadway we have choruses and ensembles, and um, those people are treated with equity, um, you know, with with the stars. And we're all right. from the same union, and, you know, there's there's a camaraderie there. And in opera, it's really segregated, the, the soloists versus the chorus. Um, and... Uh, all to say there's just like less people that you're dealing with on a daily basis. And I found uh, early on that I would often be the only gay person in a cast. Um, and, and sometimes the odds are tipped and it's like, Oh wow, there's five of us in this cast. How amazing, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it, it was a different game for sure. And um, a different world to be a part of opera is a little more conservative. Um, it's a nonprofit structure and a lot of it is funded by donor money and patrons. And um, a lot of donor money is, you know, oil money in this country. Um, and that tends to be more conservative money. So if you look at the structure of how it's being paid for, you realize quickly like, oh, this, this art form is being supported by a conservative base. Um, and that's not always true. It depends on where you are, you know, but, um, I mean, I'll maintain that generally in the arts, it's a very accepting scene. Um, but, uh, opera is also more conservative, not just in that political sense or the social sense, but, you know, people dress up for rehearsals and your first rehearsal with orchestra, you like wear a suit. There's these customs that, you know, in musical theater, we're showing up in, in sweatpants and, and tank tops right. and, it's a very different world. Nice. Yeah, I understand that. And that's, that's something to keep in mind because you don't really think about that for, for Broadway and for theater and everything. Like you said, you are primarily um, out for the masses and, and for opera, it's a little different. Def- definitely. Yep. You, it has that regalness about it and everything. Um, sure yeah. or not, but it yeah. is, it is just uh felt upon that way and uh, that's a great point so I love that yeah. and I do think it's your... going to say I think it's to opera's detriment in, in the long run because they're trying to build an audience and invite people in and it's those stereotypes about opera that it's this regal thing or that you know that you have to dress up or study the show before you go it's all these things that are keeping people away right well and like they try it when they come when it's translated, it can become very successful. I mean, we know that Rent was based on La Boheme, and it's like yeah, you can, if, if people are working to modernize it, I think there would be a lot more interest in the classics as we bring it to the modern world, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Let's start with your musical background. You studied at Ithaca College up there in upstate New York, which I've driven by many times. Uh, Even recently received an outstanding alumni award. Congratulations on that. Um, Talk about your early training and what drew you to the musical theater there. Um, Well, it was just that experience of doing musical theater in high school. I I knew I wanted to do it in college. Um, So I actually started out at Florida State University. And I was following that dream I mentioned earlier of, like, finding a wife and being a music teacher. So I was a music ed major at Florida State, um, and I didn't last very long. And then I I ended up (laughs) transferring to Ithaca for musical theater um, and found my community, you know, and it was really important moment in my life. Um, But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I once I identified I wanted to do musical theater, I knew I wanted to be on Broadway. I knew I wanted to be. Um, close to New York and I knew I needed to leave Florida. So I applied to a bunch of schools in the Northeast as a transfer student and Ithaca took me and I gladly went there and um, had great training and, and kind of importantly on the weekends, I started going down to New York and auditioning for things and started getting work uh, summer stock seasons and, and really terrific opportunities that supplemented my training. Oh, that's great. I love that. And talk about your Broadway experiences. Relatively early on, you got to be in the revival of South Pacific. Talk about that experience and what that was like. Yeah, well, so my first Broadway show was a play called Quorum Boy, and it ran for, I think, three or four weeks. It closed. (laughs) It was a huge flop. Um, But that's how (laughs) I broke onto the scene and got my equity membership. And that led to South Pacific because once you're a member of uh, Actors' Equity, you can audition for any Broadway show you want. And, like, if they're holding auditions, they have to see you if you're a member of the union. So um, so the first audition I went to with my equity membership was for South Pacific. And I was seen eight times over the course of a year. And um, I was cast in the original cast of that Lincoln Center revival in the ensemble and it was just a breathtaking experience to be a part of that show which was so celebrated and won you know so many awards and um was just a terrific experience and to be at lincoln center theater was a dream that's amazing i love that and i mean we're talking on radio now and hopefully those of you that are listening on blog talk radio see our pictures and our slideshow below but you're six foot seven, dude. Talk about that in the auditioning process, and how does that uh, pull into your parts and everything in musical theater? Yeah. That... Well, so right after South Pacific, I was Lurch in the original cast of The Addams Family, and um, certainly there's a height requirement for that role. Um, <laughs> right. So, um, I mean, a lot of what I've done is because I meet a certain physical type, um, and in opera too. You know, they want I play a lot of villains and. Um, they want you to be like large and imposing and they want your voice and your body to match in a certain way. So it's definitely helped me a lot, but at the same time, it, it means there's a lot of things I'm not right for because I'm so tall. You know, I don't, um, I don't fit into an ensemble easily on Broadway. Um, South Pacific was a huge ensemble of a bunch of guys of different types and they wanted that. So, um, and they needed a base for that solo and nothing like a dame, which is what I did eight times a week for, a year and a half there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say it, it definitely helps me, but I'm also just a very specific physical type. So when I'm right, I'm really right. And when I'm not right, I'm like entirely wrong for a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. 
Very cool. I love that. Well, let's get into Adam's family. I mean, talk about uh, a great cast. You're you're uh, uh, initiating the role of Lurch. You're working with Nathan Lane, BB Newworth. Um, absolutely. Wow. Talk about that. Yeah, a, a dream scenario to star in a show alongside Nathan Lane, BB Newworth, Carly Carmelo, uh, Terrence Mann, Kevin Chamberlain, Jackie Hoffman. Um, it was really just absolutely amazing. Um, and to be a part of the legacy of the Adams family, those characters that Charles Adams first drew in the New Yorker magazine that went on to be you know, cartoons and movies and TV shows and then a Broadway musical, um, it was a really... Um, priceless opportunity and and to be seen partners with Nathan Lane, who I idolized for my whole life, really. My mom took me sure. to see The Birdcage in the movie theaters and when I was a kid, and we went back to see it two more times, you know. And, <laughs> you know, he was just a hero in my household, and there I am sharing a show with him. It was a spectacular opportunity. I love that. And Adam Lippa, we've had on the show, he wrote the music for it and the songs uh-huh. and music are so great there. Um, what was the, yeah. how long of a rehearsal product did you have before you got on Broadway? Well, so for a lot of new Broadway shows, um, there is a whole workshop and developmental process. So we actually did two years of readings and workshops, um, not solidly two years, but every few months we would meet and do right. a week long reading of the show. We'd work on the new material. Producers would come in and listen to it. We'd take feedback. There'd be rewrites, things like that. And then we took the show for an out-of-town tryout to Chicago and did three months there, and then we opened on Broadway. Um, So all in all, I worked on the show for over five years of my life. Um, I started when I was 25 working on that show, and um, I was 30 when it closed. And... um, the following year, I actually ended up going out on the tour for a little bit to replace the lurch that was doing the tour. So it was a huge part of my life. Um, I think a thousand performances in total. Nice. So pretty like wild. That. Yeah. And you're still connected to it. I mean, I was reading on your Facebook the other day that you have lots of kids that do the, um, all over uh, high schools everywhere yeah. that kind of reach out. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so this weekend, as we're speaking, there are 28 productions of The Addams Family happening in the United States, mostly in high schools. It's one of the most performed high school musicals in this country several years in a row now. So I get the sweetest messages on Instagram from these kids who are doing the show, and a lot of the boys playing Lurch reach out, and they're like, hey, how do you sing this low note? And it's like, oh, God, I'm so sorry, because they, you know, Andrew wrote this impossibly low note to me because I could sing it, but it's really hard especially if your voice hasn't finished developing so um so i get a lot of questions from kids playing lurch like how do you do it give me some acting and singing tips but a lot are also um just messages saying like wow we love you so much we're so inspired by you you're amazing like can you send us a message saying break a leg and and i always do and i think i've sent hundreds of videos just being like hey so-and-so high school break a leg this weekend blah blah you know it's it's really sweet that is so so cool of you though i love that that's oh, awesome. it's like an honor. It's a total honor, but it's just funny because never in a million years would I have thought ten years later, after the show opened and closed, I would it would be such a part of my life. And I'm talking like weekly messages from kids, mostly on Instagram. That's great. I love that. I've been trying. It's cute. I mean, you yeah. know, Wes Taylor, and I've been trying to get Wes on my show forever, but he's always so busy in so many shows. I mean, he does back to back shows, and he's got his web series. 
now, but um, oh yeah, I, I I love Wes Taylor, so that's that's right. You had a great opening cast for that. It was just amazing. Oh, it was amazing. amazing! Yeah, Wes and I were actually we were dressing roommates, so it was just, oh, just cool. Wes and I, and we yeah we like went shopping and bought you know furniture and <laughs> decorations for our room together. It was cute. <laughs> nice, I love that. That's very cool. Well, tell him to get on my show, damn it. I've been going through his people, right. and it takes forever to get him on. <laughs> yeah, he's hard to reach. All right, well, I want to trans- transition here into opera, but let's take a break. Uh, just a couple of seconds. I want to play one of your Broadway songs here. So we're going to listen to um, Zach now uh, from Broadway. When we come back, we're going to go into the opera side of Zachary James here. So stay tuned. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on Left of Straight Radio Network. Talking to Zachary James, star of Broadway, opera, played everywhere. I want to get into this opera transition. Talk to me. Um, we talked a little bit about the difference between opera and Broadway, of course. Talk to me about the vocalization for it. What is the difference between musical theater and Broadway? Was it an entire new learning curve? to learn that discipline or is it relatively similar? I don't know anything about it. So talk to me. Sure. It's in a lot of ways, it's similar. Um, the main difference is amplification because in opera, we don't 
use microphones. And so what I had to learn was to support my voice with my whole body and um, to uh, be able to carry over an 80 to 100 piece orchestra, which is a totally different game than Broadway. Because, you know, Broadway, we're doing it eight times a week. You can be sick and still do a show. You just like tell them to turn the mic up if you're suffering vocally. (laughs) It's like (laughs) kind of easy (laughs) um, comparatively. And opera, it's just a whole different beast. And to sing into these enormous theaters, you know, sometimes theaters with a 4,000 seat capacity um, over an 80 piece orchestra with no microphone, it's totally crazy. So at first I was self-conscious about it and I, I wasn't sure if my voice was carrying, but I was getting training and support and guidance. And um, I had ears out in the auditorium and just to make sure it was carrying over the orchestra. But the um, temptation is to push your voice over and just to shout. And that really doesn't help at all. That kind of hinders you because you're cutting off your resonance and the human voice resonates at a frequency that doesn't exist in an orchestral instrument. And so you just have to trust that, um, that you're doing the right thing and you have to support it with your whole body and get your feet under you. And it's kind of like the Olympics of singing, um, but, uh, I mean, it's hard. I'm going to tell you, honestly, it's really hard, <laughs> right, but sure. it's very rewarding as well. And in opera, we also usually get days off after a performance to recover vocally because it's very taxing. Right. I mean, that's, that is one thing that I wanted to talk about because it is entirely different. You're doing eight shows a week, like you said, on Broadway uh-huh. and here you're, you're, Maybe we'll do a couple weekends. I mean, you'll do one or two days in a row in yeah. a weekend. Is that how it usually goes? Uh, it just depends on the schedule. Like sometimes, yeah, one or two shows in a weekend. But I just did a run of a show at the Metropolitan Opera, and we did eight performances total over a month. So it's like, you know, what we do in one week on Broadway over the course of a month. Right. And what was that? Now, you were following a mentor that kind of got you to switch into opera. What brought you into opera? Well, I had been dabbling on the side. My teacher had recommended I get into it, but it was really from the Adams family that I got into opera full-time. The director of the Adams family is Phelan McDermott, and he happens to work with Philip Glass all the time and directs a lot of the new productions of Philip Glass operas. So uh, Phelan asked me to audition for Philip Glass. I went to his house and sang for him and talked with him, and they ended up casting me in a world premiere opera called The Perfect American about Walt Disney, which we premiered in Spain, and we uh, took it to London and Australia. Um, and that kind of launched my career as an opera singer. Um, it's been no turning back since then. Um, and then I just did uh, four productions of Akhenaten by Philip Glass, also directed by Phelan McDermott. So the Philip and Phelan are very much responsible for my being an opera singer. Nice. And the costuming for that was amazing. I was looking through the picture. They even inspired you to get a tattoo, right? Yeah, yeah. I got a tattoo after after four productions and spending a significant part of my life with it. And there's there's more coming in the future. I decided to make it permanent with that show and get a tattoo of the opening projection, which is this cool hieroglyphic that um, I've tattooed across my chest. Um, but it's the opening projection for my first soliloquy in that show. Nice. I love that. And I want to go back into your your operatic voice a bit more. It's described as a bass baritone, 
a true stage animal known for your huge, robust base, which resonates with force, tremendous power and presence. First, that'd be the best grinder profile ever, but it's too bad you're taken. Uh, but second, talk about what it took to get to that voice. Talk about the training on that. Yeah, you know, it takes a really good voice teacher. And in that, I have my mentor, guru, fabulous teacher, Carol McCamus from Ithaca College. And we've been together for 18 years. And uh, she knows my voice in and out. She knows my bad habits. And, you know, I I can be in the middle of a performance and text her and she writes something back that helps me because she knows me so well. You know, Uh, um, it's a really wonderful relationship. And I would not be doing anything that I'm doing without her um, in my corner all these years. Um, but it's, it takes a lot of diligence. It takes a lifestyle that is similar to that of, you know, living like a nun or a monk. You're just like, (laughs) you know, there's no partying there. You have to get nine hours of sleep. You have to drink water. You have to exercise. It's, it's really like being an Olympic athlete. I compare it to that all the time. It's, it's really a very specific lifestyle that you have to live. Yeah. I bet. Well, talk about some of your roles you've taken to the opera, some of your favorite. I mean, I love, um, I was watching, I was perusing a lot of stuff during my research. I love the Billy Budd uh, role you yeah. did there in Billy Budd. I oh, mean, so it's just so exciting. Talk about some of your favorite roles and uh, and, and what, you, what you've done so far in your career. Well, you hit it on the head with Billy Budd. That was one of my most cherished experiences. Um, that was a production at Des Moines Metro Opera in Iowa. Um, and we recorded the production for Iowa Public Television, and it actually won an Emmy Award, which is really cool. Um, oh, that's but great. Uh, I played John. Yeah, um, very unexpected for this opera company in Iowa to be winning Emmy Awards, but they have several for their broadcasts of their operas. Um, but I played John Clagert in that, which um, is this fabulous villain role. And it's especially um, poignant for me because uh, he is a closeted gay man. And a lot of the plot of that show revolves around his desire to, um, his, you know, his desire, his his um, obsession with the title character, Billy Budd. Um, but obviously he can't act on that. And he ends up destroying him. But it's, for me, it's... Um, a character that is just tormented by who he is and doesn't know what to do with it. And honestly, growing up in Florida and being called faggot in gym locker rooms, like that, that is how I got into that character, Um, that inner turmoil, that shame. And we were able to put on a really special production that made um, that aspect of the character uh, come to life. And a lot of times it's ignored and honestly, I don't know of right. any other production of that opera where an actual gay man has played that role. And to me, it's uh, very important to look at it that way. Um, so that was really special. Um, I do a lot of work. It's amazing. I love that story. Yeah. Yeah, it was a special one. Um, I do a lot of work in Des Moines. I work at their opera festival almost every summer. and We've had a lot of experiences that are very special there. Um, you know, there's so many cool roles in opera and I've, I've gotten to do a lot of them all over the country and world. And, uh, but my favorite thing is working on new works with composers who are sitting in the room with you and like I'm doing now in Minnesota, um, working directly with a composer to create a role in a show is a very special experience. And, uh, I've done that with Philip Glass and Missy Mazzoli, who is a prolific composer in this country and has a lot of 
tremendous things going on and um, working now with Paolo Pristini. Uh, it's a very special thing, and it's an honor to create new works. That's fantastic, and that's going to be March 21st through 29th on the weekend there. Um, are you are you excited? I mean, how how's the um, rehearsals coming along? Oh, yeah, it's coming along great. It's going to be a beautiful, magical show, and I just can't wait to share it with kids who have read the book that it's based on I, and to imagine their reaction to it. I think it's going to be a really special experience. Um, and they have big hopes for the opera. We are recording it, and um, uh, we're all kind of hoping it, it gets a Grammy. And um, I think it will have a future life. I, I hope this opera gets picked up by other companies and has a future. That is very cool. Well, congratulations on that. Um, for those of you listening, if you are in the Minnesota area, if you go to uh, mnopera.org, tickets are available except for one one section sold out so far. But anywhere from $23 to $170, very reasonable for a nice house at the opera. Yeah. Uh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. That's exciting for you. Very cool. Totally. Talk about, I mean, one of the things that I like about opera, I mean, and it happens on musical theater too to some extent, but opera really takes it to the next level. The costuming that really affects the care is a part of the character as much too. I mean, I remember, I remember seeing your picture as like that duck type figure and just, but yes. the opulence of the costuming is amazing. Talk about that part and does that help you get into character? Talk about that part of oh, opera. Oh, yeah. I love to see the designer's vision. It really informs how we bring the characters to life. And in opera, more than I think any other stage art form, um, there's this idea that like the extreme is allowed and abstract ideas are allowed. And you're allowed to go to these far reaches uh, and see like just how over the top it can be while being grounded in the music at the same time. So it's, um, it's just, it's kind of like on steroids opera <laughs> and really exciting. <laughs> well, at the same time, there's this movement of chamber opera and it's uh, common to see a production where it's just like two people on stage in jeans and a black t-shirt with a small, you know, chamber orchestra telling an intimate, beautiful story. And, and that's allowed also, but it, it runs the gamut and it's like opera allows anything and everything. Nice. Who would be um, who would be someone you really want to work with that you have not worked with yet? Any any uh, uh, favorite performers you're looking to work with? Hopefully. Sure. Yeah, I've I would love to work with Renee Fleming. I mean, an idol of mine. I've crossed paths with her a few times, and she was very supportive of me and brought me into a program she was producing at Carnegie Hall last year, which was a deep honor. But I would love to you know, work with her on stage. Um, and there's so many great artists I would love to work with. I, I feel so lucky that I checked off a lot of my, my Broadway dreams by working with, you know, Nathan and BB and, and Carolee sure. and, um, you know, but I, I always am excited about collaborating with new artists and, and a lot of times it's the person you never heard of that you're in a rehearsal room with for the first time that you become just enraptured and inspired by, um, because they're, you know, bringing something to the art that you didn't think of yourself. And it's sometimes like so exciting to see someone else's ideas and be inspired by that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Very, very cool. Talk for a minute about your one-man show. That's more Broadway-esque, but talk about that. You, uh, you 
performed that quite a few places. I think I have a couple events coming up. Talk about what yeah. what people will expect to see when they come to see you. Yeah, so it's a show about my experience on Broadway and, and what it was to grow up in Florida and be a kid with a dream and um, and achieve that dream and, and make it to New York and uh, stories and songs about my time on Broadway, the five years I spent on Broadway, and um, a lot of great music that's just very special to me. Um, I've done the show now in Hawaii, Alaska, Iowa, Idaho, New York, Pennsylvania, Florida, and I'm doing it in Virginia coming up and some other places. So, you know, it's just something I put together for a one-night-only event, and it's just taken off, and I've done it in so many places. It's a really special experience to be able to share. Um, it's, it's a very intimate experience. It's just, you know, me and an audience and a pianist, and I talk and um you know, share these songs and uh, it's so fun to see the reactions and people participate and laugh and cry. And, you know, I sing some enchanted evening and I just did it in Iowa and in the front row, I saw a husband reach and grab his wife's hands and they just like gazed in each other's eyes while I sang this romantic song. And, and I knew it was a special moment for them and that that music meant something to them. And to share that is very special. Well, that's fantastic. I love that. Very, very cool. We'll talk about that in a second. I want to go into you have so many upcoming performances and you do travel everywhere. Talk about that in relationship yeah. <laughs> wise. I mean, you you have a boyfriend now. I think you, it, it's been posted that you were married and, and divorced. Was that part of it all mm. the traveling? How is it having a relationship with all the travel you do? Yeah, well, my boyfriend is uh, the most amazing, supportive, beautiful person I've ever met. And, um, you know, we have a, a beautiful love that is awesome to wake up to every day, whether I'm, you know, in the same bed or picking up a phone to text each other. Um, it's hard. I was on the road, you know, 10 months last year. Um, I just had wow. uh, six months at home, which was amazing. Um, and it's those moments that we're together where we just have to focus on, you know, continuing to build our foundation and being strong for these moments when we're apart. But it's it's hard. Absolutely. I'm going into my third week away right now and I miss him and my dog desperately, <laughs> but, um, you know, we just kind of <laughs> try not to focus on it and just keep, um, staying in touch. And, uh, someone said recently that when you're away from your partner, it's important to just remember your, your shared dreams and to feed into those and to continue to dream. Um, and that's something that we do. Um, as you mentioned, I was married previously. Um, that was a, a really, tough uh, relationship just a lot of unexpected things happened um on the other side of that involving you know drug addiction and uh violence and so uh wasn't how i expected that story to end thank you yeah it was it was pretty horrific but um but i survived and uh there were times where i didn't think i was going to so i'm really lucky to have you know made it on the other side of that and um it was kind of a an important thing to share that experience and to reach out and let people know you know what happened to me because so many people then reached out and said that happened to me too and both men and women and um you know like you said I'm a six foot six man like people aren't going to think that I'm I'm gonna face violence in my relationship but I was in great danger many times and um you know unpredictable situations so you know like I said, I'm lucky to be out of that, and uh, but even more so, kind of lucky to have found love um, and such great love, uh, somebody that 
really values me and, and appreciates me and respects me. That's, um, I think it's, I guess it's kind of rare. I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, thanks for sharing that story. I did not know that side of it. And that's, uh, that's like yeah. you said, that's a whole topic for another show. I think I may have you back. Uh, sure is. So I like to do some serious topics from time to time. And I think that'd be something yeah. that we really need to address uh, in, in yeah. same-sex relationships. So that's, thank you for sharing yep. that. I appreciate that. But it is amazing yeah, well, that you're able to come out of that and find love again and be able to love again and share that because that can scar you, I can imagine. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I was um, I was well into my uh, divorce process when when Sam and I became serious, and um, he was I was really impressed by how supportive he was during that process too. Um, you know, we weren't it wasn't like we were looking to get married or anything. We weren't that serious, but he was just like, no, you know, your problems are my problems, and your divorce is sort of my divorce, and I'm going to support you through it. And uh, I don't actually know how I would have made it through without that support because it ended up taking two years to get divorced and uh, a lot of nasty battles along the way. Right. Well, I'm so glad you had that support system. That's fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, we'll definitely Thanks. go into that story another time. That's, that's <laughs> I think we need to address. I mean, I, I hate to make people relive that, but that's how, like you said, other people learn from it. And when you share that story yeah. – um, people don't think of that. Like you well, said, the dichotomy of sizes and ages and sexes. I mean, yep. there's so much involved in there that people don't understand. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. That. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we have to find our com- commonalities and, and just um, reach out to people. The more we can connect and see the similarities between ourselves, the more we have um, great hope for a future, you know, just as a society. It's really important. Well said. Well said, my friend. All right, we got to start wrapping it up. I want to go ahead and uh, talk about, so I want you to be able to kind of uh, talk about those, anything you're really looking forward to. I am looking forward to your November Carnegie Hall concert featuring all women composers. Um, yeah. I might drive up to New York, but I'm only six hours out of New York, so I may pop up for that. Oh, come. But talk about your upcoming events and that especially. Yeah, sure. Um, so I have this premiere in Minnesota, then I'm on to Milwaukee for a production of Macbeth. Uh, then I'm doing a production of Plate, a beautiful French Baroque opera in Des Moines. Um, I'm doing The Pirates of Penzance with the Virginia Opera in the fall. And um, and then uh, this Carnegie Hall recital, which I'm really thrilled about. I'm teaming up with um, eight living female composers and uh, also performing the works of three female composers who are no longer with us. Um, but it is a program uh, featuring women's works. And um, it sounds kind of crazy that we need to, you know, um, talk about it that way. But the fact is 95% of concerts feature only music written by men. And wow. the Metropolitan Opera, for example, a century went by where they only performed one opera written by a woman. So, this is um it's a topic and we kind of need to continue to talk about it until there's a quality um so um i i you know am very lucky to have these great composers who are friends of mine that i've collaborated with and that um want to dream up new works with me and so when i reached out everyone i asked said, said yes which was such a luxury um and so i've assembled this great team of um uh, composers um, and other musicians and we're going to put on this wonderful concert that I'm really excited about uh, November 30th at Carnegie Hall. 
That sounds amazing. We'll definitely have to have you back for that, or I may come out and do a live show for now. That'd be a lot of fun. I'd really oh, my like, God. That'd be awesome. I, I love yeah. empowering other people. I love artists that celebrate other artists, which most do, but that, that's fantastic. It's Congratulations so on that. That is Thank so you. great. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah. And then uh, I guess just to tell you what's after that next season, I'm doing uh, Sweeney Todd in Sweeney Todd at Opera Omaha, which I'm really excited about, and um, some other stuff as well. But but a lot of cool things coming up. That is odd. Now talk about that. Didn't you do Sweeney Todd in Broadway as well, or at least in theater? That's going to be a big – what's the difference between Sweeney Todd the musical and Sweeney Todd the opera? Yeah, it's sort of the same old thing. Um, it's just like where you're doing it. Yeah, I've done it. Um, I think this will, be, this will be my fourth time doing Sweeney Todd. Um, I did it with New York uh, Philharmonic Opera Roanoke. I did it with a theater in Florida. So um, it's uh, such a masterpiece, and I'm so excited to work on it again. And this is my first time playing Sweeney Todd himself professionally, so that's a big moment for me. But um, oh, wow. it's uh, it's different with opera companies because you don't have microphones. <laughs> that's the main difference. <laughs> <laughs> And gotcha. it was written, you know, for microphones. <laughs> right, so right, right. Fest, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, congratulations. That'll be exciting. Um, let's yeah. go ahead and wrap up. I mean, I was able to find all this information by your website. You can find great upcoming appearances, great pictures. There's YouTube videos. You have a YouTube channel. Give your website address and your social media real quick where my uh, listeners can follow you. Yeah, you can find me at ZachJames.com and on Instagram and Twitter, uh, just search Zachary James, but it's underscore Zachary underscore James underscore. <laughs> There's a lot of Zachary Jameses out there. Um, and uh, yeah, I love to hear from people. I respond to everyone that writes me on Instagram. I think it's really important uh, as an ambassador for opera to engage with audience. So I'm always happy to hear from people. And um, engage and answer questions about the art form and invite you into the process. Um, so I would welcome everyone to hit me up. Amazing. And those that are spelling deficient, that Zach with a C-H, not a Z-K, just so everyone yes. knows C-K. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> C-H. People get confused on that, I know. Um, sure, but sure. Very, very cool. Zachary James, been a pleasure having you on the Left of Straight Show. We're definitely going to have to have you back. Uh, thanks so much for being on, my friend. Yeah, I look forward to coming back, and thank you for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Super duper. Well, guys, we are going to go ahead and play out with um, a little bit of opera music from Zachary James. And for those of you following on social media, we're going to have uh, uh, some special extras that we're going to record a little bit more about some of uh, five questions with Zachary James. So be, looking, be on the lookout for that. And I'll be back to wrap this up in just a little bit. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. To which I was born There I found peace of a sort There I established an order Such as a race in hell 
I hope you enjoyed listening to our very first episode back in season five. Older episodes are always available on Blog Talk Radio and your favorite podcast distributors if you'd like to listen to them. A big thank you to Billy Gilman and Zachary James. Please follow them on social media and their websites. Be sure to tune in tomorrow. I'll be talking to two wonderful actors writers. The hilarious Drew Drogi is going to be on. So talented. And the handsome and talented Ben Bauer will be on the show. Be sure to check out the website at www.leftofstraight.com. And Left of Straight is always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight dot com. Follow me on social media on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Left of Straight. Straight show on Facebook. And you can follow my personal Facebook page at Scott Fuller if you wish. Go ahead and send me a friend request over. You can also support the show by subscribing to my Patreon page, uh, patreon.com forward slash left of straight. And if you have any product or service you'd like to advertise in the show or be a sponsor on the Left of Straight show, look it up on the website, and uh, I appreciate your support. Coming up this season, so many great interviews ahead. We have Terry Ray, Lonnie Anderson, Stan Zimmerman, Del Shores, Brandon James, Ryan Carnes, much more. Guys, thanks so much for listening to the Left of Straight show. I appreciate my Left of Straight family. Have a great evening tonight. Bye-bye.